Well, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Sometimes seven hours of airtime just isn't enough, Mike. You got to add time to talk about everything you need to get to. So I'm Sam Monson here as ever, but the extra show that we've added means the triumphant return of one Michael Renner. Let's go. How's it going, Mike? Great. Great to be back. Great to be on a podcast. Yeah, truthfully, I haven't been on a podcast for like four months now. So I've just been stewing on all these draft takes that I get to spew. So we bench Steve. Yeah. He's busy. We're not, we're we're no C for this, but... You, as our rev- resident draft expert, are going to come in and help us uh, break down the draft for the first time. Yeah, even though Steve's like over my shoulder, right. staring at mm-hmm. me the whole time, a little intimidating. I'll try to power through, but I can't help but notice that it's going to haunt me. It's going to haunt me. I mean, look, it's in my you know peripheral yeah, vision your, okay. the whole time. I got to sit fair. with it the whole time. Um, we're going to have a fun show. We're going to rank some draft classes, figure out exactly where this one stacks up versus the last few years and how the last few years generally stacks up against each other. We're going to build the perfect quarterback prospect because that's going to be the thing everybody's talking about all the way through this. Is it um, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Will Levis? Like, those are the guys we're going to be focusing on. We're going to try and figure out what the perfect ideal prospect would look like. We're going to talk a little bit about Bryce Young, um, particularly comparing him to the previous Alabama quarterbacks that have come out recently, Tua and Mac Jones. And then with the Chicago Bears sitting in that number one pick, we're going to talk a little bit about Justin Fields and what they should do and what they've learned. Ready to get into it? Let's get into it. Because a lot of teams right now, this is this is what's next. This is the next four months of our lives. I mean, it's what's been there for a while for a lot of teams. Yeah, that's also true. <laughs> that's also true. Um, yeah, so let's start with ranking the draft classes. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of people, we tend to view drafts in a vacuum. You know, start talking about the players, how good they are, uh, what the order should look like. But we don't, I think, spend nearly enough time thinking about what this draft class looks like as an overall talent level and comparing it to previous classes. You know, this guy might be the best corner in this draft, but where does he stack up next to a Sauce Gardner and those kinds of things? So I I think we should have a look at the the last five draft classes um, and sort of put them in some kind of order, figure out where they stack up next to each other, and then you can give us a little bit of an insight as to uh, where this one stacks up. Yeah, so basically when I look at a draft class, I think there's kind of two things that I look at to kind of tell the quality or what is basically what we're discussing right now is one is how many blue chip guys there are like how many dudes are at the top that you are going to bat for that you know are just going to be good players so how many blue chip guys are and then how many guys are there that are kind of like UCS stars the next level just basically the depth how is this day two of the draft how much talent is there how many guys do you have those second round grades on that could be going in the third round Uh, so that's kind of the two ways that I like to judge draft classes are the two basically ways that uh, determine how strong a draft class is, in my opinion. And it's been a very changing landscape like the last few years because we've had COVID kind of mess everything up with guys yeah. coming back, extra, you know, when, how many people are going to declare for each given draft class. There's also the NIL stuff that's changing everything, I think, because all of a sudden there's an, a financial incentive to stay in college or at least to not risk, mm-hmm. you know, where you could be 
just to jump to the NFL to get the money as soon as humanly possible. Like you can make bank while you're in college. So I think it's an interesting time to start focusing on these various different draft classes because it isn't the same every year. Yeah, the amount of the interesting, the rise of like the sixth years is very interesting from a draft perspective. We're going to have multiple quarterbacks this year that are 25 years old as rookies right. that are going to get drafted. And then a multiple offensive linemen that are going to be 24 years old. Like the, the rise of these adults playing against 19 and 18 year olds is a unique development. And I think you're only going to see more of it with everyone, you know, who has been in college, who was in college in 2020, being given that extra year of eligibility. I do think that that's only for, I guess, what is that till then, 2025, 2026? Like those drafts are all going to still be affected right. by that or could still be affected by that to where, uh, and with the NIL, with people getting paid in college, you're going to see guys staying longer more than ever, I believe. All right, so let's quickly run through these draft classes, and then I've got an order written down. We'll see if you uh, agree with my order and also where you're going to stack up the 2023 class next to these. So I believe we're going to go in chronological order, starting with the 2018 class. That was the Baker Mayfield class. Baker Mm -hmm. Mayfield, number one. Obviously, there was the huge debate about all the quarterbacks that year. We ended up getting Baker at the top, Saquon Barkley, number two. The Jets went with Sam Darnold. Didn't work out so well. Buffalo, obviously, at seven, getting Josh Allen. And then further down in that first round, we get Lamar Jackson. The the weird quarterback group um, ended up not being the order that everyone expected it to be. 2019 was the Kyler Murray draft class, right? We had Kyler Murray as the number one quarterback, number one player in that draft, number one overall. Nick Bosa, Quinn and Williams. Weird class, um, some guys at the top that, that weren't necessarily amazing. Daniel Jones starting to look better now as time goes on, um, and so on. 2020, what draft class was that? 2020 was Joe Burrow's Should draft be. class. Uh, Chase Young, Jeffrey Akuda, Andrew Thomas, who's turning into a, a oh, superstar yeah. right now. Tua turning it around after his rough couple of years. Justin Herbert, uh, 2021 draft class. That's the Trevor Lawrence draft class, Zach Wilson, obviously not turning out too well. Trey Lance still very much up in the air. Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase. And then last year's draft class, which was the no quarterback draft class at the top. Trayvon Walker, number one overall. Aiden Hutchinson. Then the two corners, Derek Stingley and Sauce Gardner, um, and so on. So my rankings for this group. I think that the 2021 draft class is the best of that group. 100%. Not even close. And... That one, more so than any draft class we've graded here at PFF, was the blue chip draft class. Like I said, with, you know, there's two ways. It's who's at the top that you feel great about, that you know we're going to be damn good players in the NFL, and then the depth. The amount of guys that felt great about being damn good players in the NFL. And so now it was the quarterback draft class, too. You had five guys, right? five quarterbacks drafted in the top 15 picks. But after that, outside of those five, I had 10 guys, 10 non-quarterbacks, that I felt great about being high-level NFL players. That was Penny Sewell, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Micah Parsons, Rashawn Slater, Patrick Sertan, and Christian Derrissaw, and Christian Barmore. That's an insane amount for a draft class. You're lucky to get three or four in most draft classes. So that doubled it. And obviously, a lot of those guys also opted out. And we've seen even guys who aren't on that list ball out uh, since then. But that draft class was stacked, just even taking the quarterback position out of it. And then it was also an all-time quarterback class as well. Yeah, and it also, it was a class that had a ton of sort of 
incredibly high-end talent as well. Like yes. we, we've got uh, the quarterbacks, obviously we've got the high-end players, but then you have guys like Kyle Pitts who are being talked about as a unicorn. You've got Jamar Chase who is being talked about as one of the best receiver prospects. Yeah. Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn, like these guys are being talked about as incredible. Micah Parsons was being talked up and everybody undersold how good he was. Like we're talking about what looks like one of the best players to come into the league in decades in him. Uh, Rashawn Slater, Panay Sewell, like these guys are top level guys yeah. right away. So not only was it a great draft class, but it seemed to have a ton of star power um, as well. The one knock on that draft class was the depth because a lot of guys didn't come out. Right. So I don't think the depth in the set day two was awful that year, but it was more like day three, there was no one. There just weren't enough guys coming out. They were willing to say, you know, I only played four games, let me declare. So you got basically a lot of the Pac-12, a lot of FCS guys just didn't even declare. So it was thin into day three, but still the top-end talent in that class was insane. So my second ranked one was the 2018 draft, the Baker Mayfield year. Um, Also a ton of quality players, Denzel Ward, Quentin Nelson, Josh Allen, obviously. Roquan Smith was was sort of seen as really good right away and is excelling now in Baltimore. Just a ton of really good players, even going deep into that first round and beyond. Yes, definitely a number of blue-chip guys in that class. Another great quarterback class where you had blue-chippers in Quentin Nelson, Blue chipper and Roquan Smith. I, I thought a blue chipper and Derwin James. Now it was a little lower down for me just because those guys are a guard, a safety, right. an off ball linebacker. It didn't have the impact players and maybe impact positions. So I had that one ranked third in my top five. I'm gonna let you away with it this time, Mike, okay. because they're they're finished playing, but we don't name the player. Okay, yeah, sorry. That's on me. I I just remembered it actually. Steve did it during the season. He got hurt almost immediately. <laughs> so we don't do that. We don't risk it. Off season now. IR. Look, their season's done, so yeah. he can miss a bit of time in the off season, but that's all you get. One more and we're in trouble. Um my what was my next one? My next class was the twenty twenty two version. So okay. a lot most recent one. Um even absent of the quarterbacks. I think there's a lot of talent in that draft class. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just focused somewhere else. It's not, it's not on the most important position. Yeah, so I thought that one, I had that one ranked fourth. The depth of 2022. So what I said about 2021, being a lot of guys coming back, meant that 2022 benefited from that in terms of depth. The right. depth on that class was insane. That was the deepest draft class we've graded, but it did not have, as pretty much everyone told you, right. that whole season. It didn't have the top end talent. It did not have blue chip guys at the top of that draft. Aiden Hutchinson was the number one player on PFF's draft board. And even he, you know, if you go back a season into that 2021 draft, would probably not have cracked the top 10 of the PFF draft board that year. You know, he probably would have been 11, 12, somewhere in that range, um, even though he's a damn good player. It's just that's how good that class was. And so after him, the amount of guys that considered blue chip players, Stingley, Sauce Gardner, Charles Cross, four guys. Four blue chips. Thought the first round was... Meh, but it, it was a very, very deep class. Yeah, and I think some of the guys at the top are sort of showing that maybe they had, they were a little bit undersold, like Sauce Gardner in yeah. particular, right? There was, when you were comparing him to Stingley, um, it was very much a toss up, but Stingley had all the pedigree, LSU, amazing freshman season, and Sauce, it was like everyone was looking for reasons not to put him in that category when his play sort of suggests that he should have been there all along, and certainly year one has, has shown that out. Yeah, he was fourth overall player in PFF's draft board. Stingley, too. Wish I could have a do-over because Sauce was, I mean, he's insane. Yeah. Uh, Next up for me is 2020 and then obviously finally 2019. Okay, 2020 to me is the second on the PFF. I, I, for some reason, really liked this draft class at the time. Um, 
I think it's borne out to not be quite as deep as I was selling it, but I love the wide receiver class. Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs, obviously, uh, is whatever off-field, but on the field was great. Um, Michael Pittman Jr., T. Higgins, Justin Jefferson, like all those guys were top 32 players in the PFF draft board, all have borne out to be that. And then I think the quarterback class that year was solid. It reminds me of this year's quarterback class where it's no one's going to rave about how exceptional it was at the time. But all it's done is produce four starters right. that are four quality high-end starters in the NFL. So uh, you get four starters in a draft class. That's a damn good draft class, the quarterback position. So I was a big fan of this one at the time, big fan of that tackle class too. Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs have mm. obviously become elite players. Jedrick Wills uh, has been solid at tackle. Makai Becton has been injured. injured, but when he was healthy, <laughs> he was good. Josh Jones loved him. This year as a starter was fantastic at yeah. left tackle for the Arizona Cardinals. So that that to me was the second best draft class and this is me at the time just right. saying what i liked about it because i thought there were a number of blue chippers in that class I, I thought isaiah simmons was a blue chip player even though it's taken him a while to come on but once he's played in the slot there for the arizona cardinals i think that's his best role long term but i liked akuda as a blue chip chase young as a blue chip jerry judy and cd lamb in that regard too as well as andrew thomas and tristan Wirfs. like that was a deep class and i thought it had some depth so i was a big fan of that Maybe it hasn't come as much to fruition, but I still thought it was a good draft class. And then my bottom-ranked one is the 2019 one, the Kyler Murray draft. That has a lot everyone's. of star power, but a lot of not star power as well. Yeah, to me, it was Nick Bosa, Quinn and Williams. Those were your blue-chip players in that draft class. After that, it got thin, um, and I think that's kind of borne out in retrospect. There, there's just not been a lot of talent. Um, the wide receiver class got a lot better than it got drafted, I will say. Yeah. The second round of that receiver class was one of the best second rounds ever for a wide receiver class with Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf. Obviously, Terry McLaurin goes in the third in that year's draft. But that kind of reset how we look at wide receiver position, I think. Because from 2015 to 2018, you had four straight duds. Four straight first rounds where if you drafted a wide receiver, you were probably disappointed with what you got. And then by that point, everyone had kind of soured on the position. So you didn't see any go in the top 20, even though we had DK and AJ Brown's top 20 players in that class. We thought, you know, the NFL just kind of had gone away and be like, oh, the college game, don't draft these guys early. And you see Marquise Brown come off the board late, Nikhil Harry come off the board late in the first round. Those are your only two first rounders. But then the hits immediately of AJ, Debo, uh, DK, Terry, Basically, the next year, people are like, okay, let's draft them again. Right. Let's start drafting these guys. <laughs> and now they can't stop. <laughs> now the NFL knows. And, and they're all working. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That, that Nikhil Harry pick continues to yeah. blow my mind consistently year on year. I'll never, as long as I live, understand that. I need like an oral history of that draft uh, pick and how it happened. Um, so where do you think the 2023 class now, this year's group, stacks up next to those? I'm not going to be very kind to it. Uh -oh. I'm just going to say it right now. I have it fifth out of the last six. Only 2019 wow. I have below it. I have it below 2022, below, obviously below everyone else. Um, I, I think there are, I would put two. So I like the quarterback class, that caveat aside. Again, it reminds me of the 2020 quarterback class where no one's raving about it, but I do think Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, three years from now, it could all be four starters, four quality stars in the NFL. So I like this quarterback class. But then after that, I think there's two guys I'm willing to call blue chip players, maybe a third. And that's, no, three guys I'd call blue chip players because obviously one's a running back though. Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, B. John Robinson. 
Mm-hmm. That's it. Those are the three guys I'm really going to bat for that I think are special at their respective positions that you know are going to hit. After that, it gets thin fairly quickly. And then once I get to the 40s in this draft class, I'm like struggling to find guys that I want to even put there. Right. You know, so it's not ideal, but the quarterback class at least gives it a bump up a little bit. All right, so that's not the uh, that's not the best ring. Not a ring endorsement, but it's a cool quarterback class. <laughs> um, this extra show, the extra podcast we're doing right now, would not be possible without Western Southern, our uh, title sponsor, the guys that have the plaque on the wall and help power this whole thing. The PFF podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. I'll say this about Western and Southern's logo. It's, it's underrated. That's an underrated logo. It reminds me of like a coin you would get in a video game from like the 90s. Like right. Um, like on Game Boy or something <laughs> that you collect. I like that. It also, you know, matches our color scheme. So yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's a fitting decor. Um, all right, next up, Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we doing now? I lost my, uh, I lost my train. We're building the perfect quarterback. Building the perfect quarterback. All right, I like this. We, we tend, this comes around every now and again. Um, and we spend all draft time talking about the strengths, the flaws in each one of these guys without ever sort of evaluating, all right, let's 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 put all these sliders to 100. What does that look like? like yes. What is the perfect quarterback prospect come along? Because particularly a couple of years ago, you know, Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be that guy, basically, right? The, the best quarterback since Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, mm-hmm. John Elway, however far back you want to go. So what does this thing look like with all of the sliders maxed up to 100? Let me first say, when it's like those generational prospects, we're not saying that they are for sure going to be the greatest at their sex positions at all times. It means that as prospects, like as they are college quarterbacks right now, to me it's more like they have the higher, highest floors of any of the quarterbacks we've seen in the past decade. It means just like the certainty with which we know they're going to be good is the highest since Andrew Luck. That's how I felt about Trevor Lawrence. Not saying he's going to be the GOAT, but that the certainty with which I know he's going to be good is higher than anyone else. And so with that in mind, going through and building the perfect quarterback prospect from this year's class and obviously the perfect quarterback prospect with NFL players, I think it's important anytime you are looking at college prospects to contextualize what you're seeing. I think a lot of people will see a guy dominating college and be like, oh, it's easy to get lost in the hype and compare them to the athletes that he's on the football field right there and lose context of what the athletes at the NFL level look like and fall in love with the guy and say, oh, he's going to be so down at the next level when you know, everyone at the NFL level, not everyone, but a lot of guys at the NFL level look like Von Miller, run like Von Miller, don't play like Von Miller because there's a lot that goes into the position that's more than just being high-end athletes. So it's always important to contextualize what you're seeing on a collegiate football field with what the elite looks like at the NFL to properly compare. So do you want to go first with your NFL ones then so we can give context yeah. to the collegiate level? Yeah, let me go. I've built this guy. I asked you for the components we're going to use, yeah. and then I, I will give you what I think the current NFL version of each one of these things is. Ooh, you you may, then... I'm looking at it. You may want to revamp one of these after last night, but go ahead. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Um, arm strength. Yeah. I think Justin Herbert has the best arm strength in the functional arm strength in the NFL right now. I know everyone's going to talk about Josh Allen and the fact that if you wanted to throw a football through something, you would probably line up Josh Allen before anybody else. If you wanted to throw a football 
from a weird-ass angle running in the opposite direction, you're probably going to want Mahomes. But I think in terms of functional arm, Justin Herbert has the best composite of any of these guys. I agree. I do think he has the strongest arm in the NFL. Now, again, I think you hit the nail on the head in that there's different areas where other guys may succeed or may look more impressive. But from the pocket to ball where it wants to go, give me Justin Herbert. He has more throws than any other quarterback I can think of where the defense misplays it because the ball travels differently to any, than any other quarterback. Like, yes. again, Josh Allen has some of those. Mahomes is able to make some of those weird Brett Favre throws that you're not supposed to be able to make. But Herbert has more of those throws per game than anybody else. Yes, I, I agree. I'm with you there. All right. Um, accuracy for me is Joe Burrow. I think he's the most pinpoint quarterback in the NFL uh, at this point. Obviously, you go back far enough, it would have been probably Drew Brees for a long time. But I think Joe Burrow is the guy right now. Yeah, I that one 100% agree. I, I think you'd be overthinking it to go anywhere else. <sighs> Decision-making, I had Tom Brady. <laughs> and, okay, that didn't happen yesterday mm-hmm. when, you know, things went south for the Bucks and their playoff hopes. I still think that, you know, <laughs> presented with a functional offense, Tom Brady probably is the best mental processor and ability to read a defense put the ball where it needs to go in the nfl Mm -hmm. so i'm sticking with tom brady even though he just undermined my entire thing yeah i think if you want to like give the caveat hey brady two years ago it was obviously him now if with what we know now if he is really declined i think mahomes is the other guy there that you would go is the number two in terms of decision making obviously i think he was fourth and fourth lowest turnover where he played percentage and then top five big-time throw, right. second-highest great quarterback. It's, it's hard to go against Mahomes in that regard. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, pure athleticism, I think, has to be Lamar Jackson. I Maybe there's a couple of other guys if you look at it in a slightly different way, but his ability to just move is different from any other quarterback. Yeah, at, the, at his healthiest, it's Lamar Jackson. Um, and then frame, which I am taking to mean just sort of pure size, physical dominance Mm -hmm. is josh allen there's i mean he's the closest thing to cam newton in today's nfl of just being bigger faster stronger than everybody trying to stop him yeah the guys uh, and that matters to a degree like the guys that you know big ben had a great frame for a quarterback and that helped him when guys were hanging on him yeah and he got it off when guys hang on a baker mayfield and kyler murray guess what they go down they can't make plays right when guys are all over them big ben can josh allen can it does help it is I mean, you're a value like add two, at the nfl level yeah two ends of the spectrum two extremes but like the difference between a guy getting his hand on josh allen and a guy getting his hand on tua i mean it's it's not the same yes. right josh allen the chances are he's going to bust out of that tua is getting ragdolled to the floor um like a child like it's a huge <laughs> difference so it, obviously it's not the be all and end all but it's absolutely a massive advantage Yes. So, agree with all of those. Let's go to this cl- year's class then. Yep. Go to arm strength, where I'm going to go with Kentucky's Will Levis. Um, he has an interesting release, I'll say. He short arms it. He, he Philip Rivers is it a little bit. He's got kind of the short arm, doesn't get a full cock back, and, and it's quick because of that. I, it floors me that he puts as much heat on it as he does, but he's probably just – a. T- I wouldn't put him in the Justin Herbert, Josh Allen tier, but I'd say just a tick behind that. Like, he has a cannon. He said on actually it's just football. He said he can throw 80 yards through the air. Mm-hmm. He has throws on his tape where he gets about 65, 70 uh, on lines that um, he's got an elite NFL arm. So Will Levis, 
your top arm strength. But I think Anthony Richardson, the Florida quarterback, also in that conversation. But those two guys are clear, like, tier above the likes of someone like a Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. Those guys are solid arms, not elite arms. There's a couple of videos of him out there just looking like a human jugs machine, you know, just firing yeah. passes one after the other to these guys running routes. It looks pretty fun. He has a very aesthetically pleasing throwing motion. And, like, when the ball comes out, like I said, it looks like a jugs machine. It just yeah. looks easy. It just looks perfect. Um, all right, accuracy. Accuracy in this year's class is difficult. I think Bryce Young's obviously – to be quarterback one of the PFF draft board, you're going to be pretty damn accurate, and he is. I think Tanner McKee, the Stanford quarterback, is very accurate when you just you know take throw for throw into account. But I think C.J. Stroud, this is really what separates him, Ohio State quarterback. I think he's probably the most accurate quarterback in this draft. You saw that in the Georgia game. Why I'm very high on him. Um, C.J. Stroud probably gets the slight now, but there's there's a lot of guys, there's a couple a few guys in the running that I put right there. And it's now officially declared. There officially, was, there was talk yes. that he might go back to Ohio State for one last go around. That was a little insane, but <laughs> I, I think that's going to be at least for maybe not guys who are top five picks, but the the fringe first rounders. That's going to be a conversation. That's going to be more and more. Of those guys are actually going to come back to school. Because it makes sense even financially for right. them to do yeah, so. This wild world of NIL, it actually makes some sense. Also, for some of these guys, you can actually now almost strategize which is the best draft to come out. Yes, like, I can it. go back, earn $5 million this year, and come out in a weaker draft class and then potentially go you know, one as opposed to now not Like, that wouldn't have been the case from and, the sounds of it next year for CJ Stroud. That, that's but, exactly. That's why it didn't make sense is right. because this was the draft class yeah, to come yeah. out. Or actually last year was the draft class to come out, but this was. But like next year, that might be a conversation for some of these guys. Yes. Like if you are one of the top five quarterbacks next year, you might be looking at this and saying, all right, there's five other guys, four other guys that are amazing. Maybe next year is the year I actually want to come out. How much can I get by staying in school for another year? Yeah, if you're not Drake May or Caleb Williams, Drake May, the North Carolina quarterback, Caleb Williams, USC, you're probably good going to want to come back to school because those guys are going to be the number one, number two overall picks. I just, I'd be difficult for me to see someone leapfrogging those guys at this point there and saying. All right, decision-making. Who's your Tom Brady? Decision-making, this is where Bryce Young separates himself, in my opinion. Alabama quarterback, Heisman winner. He has not only, if we would have had like playmaking on here, that's like truly what, in my opinion, separates Bryce Young from the, the pack. He really has the creativity, but he also protects the football and he takes kind of those calculated good chances when he is going to put the ball, I don't want to say up for grabs, but in harm's way where it's not, not necessarily open, but he knows when to take those chances and go attack a favorable situation. So Bryce Young, decision-making, he's the guy. It's, amazing. it's not a debate. In this yeah, class. it's amazing how few mistakes he has yes. like on his tape in the last couple of years. And even half of those mistakes that he does have are ones where you're like, I'm okay with that. Like, mm -hmm. that's a risk. I'm actually, I endorse that risk as opposed to, well, that was just stupid. Like, even half the mistakes he made are sort of, you'd almost, I don't want to say you'd positively grade them, but you kind of, you, you'd rather that than not even taking that chance half the time. Um, athleticism. This one's Anthony Richardson. This is, Anthony Richardson's unique. He's going to be the guy that is the wild card in this year's draft class. It's there's no real no one knows and he's played so little football that no one knows but he is six foot four 240 and he outruns safeties I, i'm curious what he's going to run I, I don't think it's going to be justin fields-esque 
But I do think at that size, he could run. It's, it's Cam Newton-esque. Right. Where I, he could run low four fives, but that guy at low four fives, 240 run low four fives is insane. Yeah. You know, 240 running low four fives is a load to bring down. So, yeah, Anthony Richardson, special suddenness for the quarterback position. And then presumably, given that description, he's also the guy. He's the frame. Yeah. I mean, his that's it. He is... He is where he's get where he's going to get drafted is because he's 6'4, 240 with his arm and with his frame and with his athleticism. I mean, That's that makes it. him fascinating because he's now your frame guy, your athleticism guy, and was right up there as sort of in 1A with the Will Evis arm strength thing. So, mm-hmm. three out of our five uh, requisites for being a perfect quarterback prospect is Anthony Richardson, and he's the guy nobody's going to talk about for being, you know, the top five quarterback versus the other guys. Yeah, because on tape, Fifty-three percent completion. Yeah, I mean the other two things are quite important. The so. accuracy, decision making are like TB. If his, if he didn't have arm strength, athleticism, frame, if he didn't right. have those three, you know, if he was, let's say, uh, gosh, who's like an like a Joe Burrow in those three? Let's say I don't know. I'm trying to think of even worse right now. But if he was just average in those three, he's not drafted and not even talked about as quarterback right. prospect and may not even start at the collegiate level. So it's. It is a unique conversation, but for a guy who's played, again, so little football, it's almost like an NBA lottery pick. Um, kind of like how Trey Lance was, where it's like, man, what he could become. Yeah. Hey, what he could become. Um, but I do think he's a little more advanced in some regards than Trey Lance. That's maybe an unfair comp to put on him. But, yeah, Richardson's unique dude. All right, I want to talk a little bit about Bryce Young. Um, one of the things people uh, always rail against is the same school scouting stuff, right? Just because an Ohio State quarterback hasn't necessarily panned out for a while doesn't mean there's any connection to mm-hmm. the latest one, right? Uh, but what's fascinating to me with Bryce Young and, and Alabama is there can't have been that many times where three first-round quarterbacks and, like, top half of the first-round quarterbacks have come out within four years, right? We've had 2020 for uh, Tua, right? 2021 for Mac Jones and then 2023 now for Bryce Young. So I think it makes sense to talk about him in relation to the last two guys that came out of this yeah. offense and what he looks like. So I think Tua and Mac were much more similar, I'll say. Not only just like tools-wise, but then how they played the position. They were like pure anticipation throwers, Tua especially. Like he's obviously the king of anticipation. He'll throw uh, without any regard to if the window's gonna be there or not with <laughs> anticipation. But that's like his lifeblood, very accurate, very plays with anticipation. Similar with Mac Jones. I, I didn't like Mac as much because I didn't think he was as accurate. I thought that last year at Alabama, that you know, Steve Sarkeesian year there, it was just about as easy as I've seen a quarterback have to work with. That like he he completion percentage was great and obviously numbers were fantastic, but you know, his ball placement even when guys were open, to me, was not as good as Tua's, even though Tua has, like, a tendency to – he's either perfect or it's, like, way off. Tua's kind of just his own dude in that regard. But I, that's what I worried about with Mac Jones was that I didn't know if he was pinpoint enough to get by with a middling arm uh, and middling other physical tools. Great decision maker. Um, probably fewer boneheaded plays than a Tua, but maybe less, like, special throws than a Tua. But then Bryce Young – bring special plays to the table that those guys just didn't. So he kind of has the ability to do what those guys did, but then add, I can get outside the pocket and create on my own. I can, you know, put a ball 50 yards down the football field on a corner route between a safety and a corner and hit a window before they get there that those guys just couldn't do. So he kind of just takes what that offense was and then takes it to another level, which obviously we saw in 2021 when he just went to war with Georgia. So 
Yeah, Bryce Young, to me, it's not really a debate if we are ranking these two. He's clear one, two a two, Mac three. This offense is fascinating because it's been like the poster child offense for me for like the difference between college offenses and the NFL. And I heard a great description. I I can't remember where I heard this, which is unfortunate because it it describes better what I've been talking about than I've been doing it. But I I talk about college open versus NFL open or Alabama open versus NFL open. Like you have to rewire your entire vision process because what you're looking at is a totally different picture it's a guy five yards away from anybody else versus in the nfl is he open or is he not it's it's not the same and i heard somebody describe it as in college you're throwing to receivers that are open in the nfl it's about does a guy have favorable leverage like he's not open Mm -hmm. but if he has an inside leverage and he's breaking inside i can throw the ball to him because he's that's open in the nfl level like i heard stories it might have been bruce arians when he was talking to peyton manning and Manning didn't throw the ball to a tight end, right? And they sat him down in the meeting room. They're like, Peyton, why didn't you hit the tight end? He's like, Coach, he wasn't open. And he was like, Peyton, in the NFL, that's open. Like, that ball needs to be in the air now. Like, that's what it looks like. Yeah, you're, in the NFL, I think I would describe it as you're throwing to windows. Um, space. Like, you're throwing to space that the receiver can get to. Whereas in college, you're throwing to a person. Right. You know, you're throwing who to a guy who has no one around him. It's like, that's a different mindset to have that... Yeah, I do think a lot of these quarterbacks come from favorable schemes. I think Ohio State, too. That's a problem that they have to, again, rewire. Um, and the other thing is that, like, they call concepts that almost that play into that because the level of dominance you can have from an offensive line perspective right. in college is so far and away different from in the NFL. I, I don't care who you are in the NFL. You can't scheme knowing you're going to have three and a half seconds for your quarterback in the pocket, whereas you're calling concepts – uh, at Ohio State, at Alabama, that are no one's breaking until three and a half seconds after the snap. You, you know, Ohio yeah. State had that play against Georgia in the uh, semifinal that I don't know if you recall where the running back went vertical from the backfield. And you have a running back on a vertical that you're running two verticals up the seams, two or two corners from the seams, uh, two sticks on the outside to just basically right. take everyone away play, from the middle of the field. Yeah, the play needs to basically happen before he can even get into his route. Exactly. Like a running back vertical past a linebacker up the middle of the field is your one option on that play. Is an insane call <laughs> at the NFL. It will never happen at the NFL level. So kind of taking those plays out is difficult to do in your head. And I think as an aside, like that's probably a big part of Tua's breakout season this year is this looked a lot more like Alabama open than any other offense he's been in like not only were things better around him but the picture probably looked a lot more familiar than it did the first couple of years in the NFL Um, I think I'd rank them slightly differently I think I would have I liked Mac Jones more than a lot of people Um, number one I think his sort of we, I mean, we did it as well, right? Like, you laughed at the dad bod Jones thing, right? Mm-hmm. The ridiculous picture of him with the gut and the cigar and stuff. Like, it was easy to, to kind of mock him. But I don't think he was ever as physically bad as people criticized. I think his he had the misfortune of coming out in a draft class where people weren't like that. So it's like, well, next to Justin Fields, mm-hmm. Mac Jones looks like a joke, right, physically. But compared with just, like, actual normal quarterbacks he's fine like he ran a four seven or something he can move he's not obviously justin fields but yeah. like compared with the baseline of what you expect he can do that and certainly when you're looking at them playing the nfl i don't think he's any physically worse than Tua is and in fact if mm-hmm. anything might have more functional nfl athleticism because he's bigger 
Um, but I also thought he was a much better processor than Tua. Like, Tua probably had him for accuracy, but Mac Jones was the guy where it's been a long time since I've seen a quarterback so consistently diagnose the defense, figure out where the ball needs to go and get it there basically as quick as you're going to see. That, I think, was his real trump card. And that's why, like, you know, when it came out that the 49ers had traded for three, they were going to go after Mac Jones, and everyone railed against it. I was kind of like, I, I could see that. That would make sense to me. Now, three first-round picks, not so much, but I get it. I mean, mm -hmm. I could see Mac Jones within that Shanahan offense absolutely cooking. Yeah, because, well, everyone, you know, rails against Brock Purdy now. It's like it's popular to be like, oh, he's not as good as his numbers, not as good right. as his numbers. So we know that. Like we know if you dropped him in um, to, let's say, what, what Justin Herbert has to do in Los Angeles, we we know it's not going to look as good as what Justin Herbert's doing. But there are things that in that offense you almost are prerequis prerequisites that some guys don't do. That Trey Lance shit right now is not doing, was not doing on tape. That is anticipatory throws over the middle of the field that are. Uh, reading, like we said, leverages right. of receivers to know, is that slant going to break open or is that slant screwed? Is that out route screwed? Because the timing in that offense is so, it's so predicated on timing. It's so predicated on timing and yards after the catch that Mac Jones, like that, if he was there, he'd be running it right. that's at what he a does. high, high level. And that's why Tua in the, in the Miami offense is running at a high, high level that I don't think you could just put, you know, someone who does have a big arm, someone who does have a lot of tools in there and expect it to look as good as what it was when Tua was running it. Yeah. So it's just, it's different. It is different, but it's, uh, it's, it's still a path to success in the NFL. Yeah. So I liked all of them as prospects. I they agree. All, yeah, no, know. I thought they were all good prospects. I, I think Jones was slightly better than Tua, but the bigger point mm -hmm. is I think Bryce Young is better than either of them. I mean, he and is, I, yeah, again, I he's almost like a composite of those two plus Can't some add on top, right? He's got the accuracy of Tua. He's got the processing of Mac Jones, but then he also has athleticism and creativity and like a bunch of other things that those guys – I mean, Tua had some of that at the college level, but you always got the impression that that probably wasn't going to fly in the NFL. Bryce Young, I think, is a different story. Yeah, I, I have yet to really come across knocks on Bryce Young besides his size. Like, size. Yeah, size. So anyone's really been like, hey, you know, this is something to worry about with Bryce Young. It's like, no, it's the worry is he's 5'11", 194. Right. If he is, you know, obviously you measured in at six foot, actually, by scouts last summer, which, whatever, but... <laughs> He's short. He's still going to be short. He's still going to be skinny. But I, I do think Knox on field, no one's really come to bat with anything that they're worried about. He's also got a stronger arm than either of those two guys. Which I agree. Is probably yes. important. I, I mean, I think he has the third strongest arm of like the top quarterbacks in this class. He's I, got a strangely strong arm. Like it doesn't look powerful, but the ball somehow flies out of his hand in a way that doesn't look like it should be with how he throws. It's a, I, I can't, it's very difficult to describe because it's not, you see a lot of slight quarterbacks and they have that kind of whip to the arm and it mm -hmm. makes sense, right? Because obviously the whip is what's generating the velocity, but he doesn't have that. And yet the ball just travels faster and further than it looks like it's going to when it comes out. And I had this take, maybe dumb, maybe galaxy braining it a little too much here, but he's 194 pounds. He's not going to be 194 pounds his entire NFL career. He's going to hit the weight room hard. He, like the NFL is going to, wherever he goes, make him put on muscle mass just for injury risk reasons. I think he could get a stronger arm. You think that guy packs on 10 to 15 more pounds of muscle, that's going to in a way, I, I think it will improve his you know, ability to torque a football. So I just think he can even get a stronger arm in the coming years. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot in the podcast before, that the size thing, 
people assume that smaller quarterbacks get hurt. Um, and statistically, they don't. But it's because of play style. It's yes. like in, in the same hit, they're going to be more prone to getting hurt than a guy 50 pounds bigger. Yeah. But they take different hits. And if you're going to be that size, that's fine. You just need to understand how to protect yourself in a way that Tua doesn't. Mm -hmm. And in a way that a lot of these big court, like Josh Allen obviously doesn't yeah. either, but yeah. it has dramatically different consequences. Like yeah. you He's cannot not. play the game like Josh Allen if you're going to be 200 pounds. Mm -hmm. yeah, you can't go diving for the end zone. Right, or simply downs. like try, simply allowing yourself to wind up in the grasp of a dude that outweighs you by 100 pounds and is about to toss you to the floor. Like. Mm -hmm. Don't let that happen. If that's going to happen, I mean, Tom Brady would hit the ground like a, a sack of potatoes if that was going to happen. Tom Brady's probably 20 pounds bigger than that, you know? Yeah. So I, I think the, the size thing is a concern, but it's one that I think you can mitigate by simple play style. And that's something I think, A, he already shows like a reasonable propensity for in the first place, and B, feels like something you can work on as a coach. Yeah, he definitely already does things to work around his height. Like He drops deeper in the pockets than guys... Um, as you said, he's not he's not going out there as a runner and trying to grind out tough yards. Right. He's getting down when he knows he's going to get hit. So I think that that part of it's important. Um, all right, last thing we want to talk about on this debut show: Chicago Bears wound up with the number one pick somehow. Houston somehow <laughs> shot themselves right. in the foot again and no. took themselves out of it. So whether or not they end up back with it with a trade or whatever chicago now has all the leverage they're sitting there at number one they get to determine how this draft is going to start how it's going to go and obviously the most important element there is justin fields they theoretically already have a quarterback uh, a guy that was taken in the first round a guy that a lot of people loved in that draft remember you don't have to go back that far before people were sort of flipping a coin between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And then it became Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, number one, two, very quickly for some reason. Um, and Fields started to slide, and evidently the NFL liked him a lot less than some other people, or at least some did. So I guess the question initially is, what did the Bears learn from Justin Fields this year? That he is a special runner. That an offense predicated around his legs can be an effective offense in the NFL. Um, because, I mean, it was him, right? He didn't have a good receiving core. Didn't have much of an offensive line. For them to even be an average offense like they were this year was just him. Like, it was just him elevating below average personnel to an average offense. So that's good. Good starting point. Don't think we learned anything about him as a passer. Right. Which sucks to say because uh, it's kind of what everyone said pre-season where – hey, they didn't do enough for wide receiver. They didn't do enough at offensive line to really properly evaluate him, and you didn't. You had guys like, you know, Equinemius St. Brown out there as his primary options at points during the season, which is just, it, it, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Tom Brady in his prime. It's difficult to win. Um, I mean, we've seen it with Tom Brady in his prime. Like, yeah. It, 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 no, but I mean, yeah, yeah. that we've way. Seen with, right? yeah, like we've exactly. seen when, when you take away have... any viable receiver, all of a sudden Tom Brady in his prime, which admittedly was like 40 at that point, mm -hmm. still looked bad. Like Tom yeah, Brady. No, 2012, started. when he first called it, was when he had not a lot, and it was going south. When So I, I do think that's the worry if you are the Bears going forward is that, yeah, there's a lot of excuses you can make about them, and they're all valid. They are valid excuses. But it doesn't mean that when the situation will be good, that he all of a sudden will be as well. Yeah. So that's what you're scared of. It's difficult because you're right. Exactly what everybody said was a concern that after a year, you're not going to know any more about him as a passer, which is, I mean, it's the mm -hmm. important part, right? Like 
whatever about what he brings as a running threat, that kind of buys you some time. But if he can't get any better as a passer, it's not going to fly. So that element remains a question mark entirely because they dismantled the team around him and didn't do anything to rebuild it back. So they've basically just wasted a year of understanding what he is to the point where now, if you do care about rookie contract value and all that kind of stuff, it's a valid conversation to have about, well, 50% of this guy's rookie contract is done now. Yeah. And we happen to be sitting here at the number one overall pick. How good is Bryce Young or Will Levis or whoever you like? Because you're not comparing him like, how good is he versus Justin Fields two years ago? You're like, how good is he versus Justin Fields minus 50% of his contract and with this unknown as, as a passer? I think that is much more of a debate in the Bears front office right now that Brian Poles is having than any Bears fan wants to admit. It should be, right? Because, I mean, it's only due diligence to do that. Because that what you just hit the nail on the head is that you're kind of, as, even as just a franchise, you're coming into a, like a window. You have $100 million cap space. You have this draft capital. You're coming into, if you make good decisions with that money of cap space, with those draft picks, this is a Super Bowl team quickly sort of thing. Like that's, that's just how the NFL works. It ebbs and flows. Rosters you know, get torn down, built back up um, to where this is it. Next three years is going to be very important. That is extended. That window gets extended if – you have a Bryce Young in the fold where you have five years of that now right. where it gets extended to, whereas with Justin Fields in the fold, it's only three years. And, and yeah, you can get, if you can get a King's Ransom for the number one overall pick, I still think maybe I'd lean towards going that route because Justin Fields is that special as a runner. And you don't necessarily have to worry about the long-term viability of an offense with a running quarterback because it's just the rookie deal. <laughs> you just you don't necessarily have to make a long-term play right now. You just have to win the next three seasons when he's cheap. So... I think it's a viable debate that would not surprise me if Ryan Poles ends up on the Hayless draft Bryce Young side of it because Bryce Young's that good and because they're in that kind of position as a franchise to open up a big window if you hit on a guy like Bryce Young that wouldn't necessarily be as big if you just have a Justin Fields. Because that's the key, right, is that there's two sides to it. There's where are we on Justin Fields, which is his own conversation, and then there's how good is Bryce Young. Because mm -hmm. I don't like – Steve Kime in Arizona made an absolute ton of mistakes down the years. But one thing I don't think they get enough credit for is going, abandoning Josh Rosen and drafting Kyler Murray when they did. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think that was the slam dunk that a lot of people said it was in terms of like institutional NFL actions. Like, that is not something that the NFL does very often. Walk away from the dude we sunk resources into a year ago with a first round draft pick, and the very next year, draft the guy all over again just because we think he's that much better so i give them a ton of credit for doing that but the only reason they did is because they're like oh the difference between rosen as a prospect and kyla murray as a prospect is huge like getting this chance is not going to come around very often so we got to jump on it while it's there even if it means we're burning the guy we drafted a year ago so a lot of that comes down to where you rank bryce young you know in this pantheon of quarterback prospects over the last however many years versus the Trevor Lawrence's, the Joe Burrows, the, you know, Baker Mayfield's or whatever it looked like, like where you stack him up in that whole group, I think is a big part of determining whether you make this move or not. Yeah. And as much as you can love Justin Fields, like, and believe in Justin Fields, they still finished with the worst record in the NFL this season. And he only passed for 149 yards a game right. when he was a starter. It's like, those two things are difficult to really like square with 
Bears fans' feelings about Justin Fields and how good he's going to be in the future. It's like even, you know, even like Jalen Hurts last year, where everyone's comparing now Justin Fields to Jalen Hurts' year two to Josh mm-hmm. Allen's year two, where it was bad. Jalen Hurts had 3,400 yards, 1,200 more yards than Justin Fields. They made the playoffs, you know, with Justin right. Hurts. Like, there's there's a lot of differences still that you have to kind of overlook to go to bat that heavily for Justin. It's fascinating, though, the player that he has kind of become right now because obviously everybody knew he was athletic coming out and he had speed, but nobody knew he was going to, like, break Lamar Jackson records for rushing in a single season. Because no one used him like that. Right. Yeah. But but even – so, again, it's like, yeah, even if you sort of change the usage, you're like, sure, he's – I mean, he's effective, he's a rusher, but – just how dynamic and how special he is with the ball in his hands seems crazy based off what we thought about him as a prospect. Like he is on that Lamar Jackson level of this is freakish ability. Mm -hmm. And what that does though is I think buys you a lot of time for him to get better as a passer, but that doesn't factor in the contract. It's like that's the bit to me that's a little bit like Jalen Hurts, which is if you didn't have that rushing ability, he would not, I don't think he'd be the quarterback anymore. Like he just wouldn't, he wouldn't have made it to the year where he broke out to be that passer without, I mean, if Justin Fields didn't have what he had as a, what he has as a runner right now, it it wouldn't even be a conversation. Again, they'd have benched him for like Trevor Simeon or whatever, halfway through the year. The fact that he's this special buys you enough time to be like, well, all right, what happens if we give him some receivers and some, you mm-hmm. know, viable actual offense? Yeah. Like, can, how much better can we make him immediately? And even if it isn't much, like, the defense stinks, right? If we make that better, like, we had the 20-whatever-ranked offense, like, just him playing at this level is enough for an average offense. If we build around him, how much better can that get? And then even the only downside of that is you would be passing up the chance of Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. But in theory... You know, if you decided to start building around Justin Fields now and it didn't work out, you could still go get a quarterback next year, which would just be harder because you probably don't have the same draft position. Yeah. And if you are to go, like, if they are going to go in on Justin Fields, if they do move the number one overall pick, go back. You have to, this offseason, no excuses. You have to give them no excuses, right? You have to build up the offensive line through free agency as much as humanly possible. You have to get vertical threats in the passing game. A successful Justin Fields passing offense, knowing kind of what we know about him, is going to be predicated on big plays. It just is. It's going to be predicated. He's not a Daniel Jones, let's move seven, eight yards down the football field at a time. That's not who he is. It is going to be a let's get Darnell Mooney, let's get uh, Chase Claypool, and let's get, say, a Jalen Hyatt out of Tennessee, a 4-3 guy who at all three of them can get vertical at any point in time, and Justin Fields is going to hit you over the top when you bring that extra guy in the box. That, that's what it has to look like next year, or else I think Ryan Poles has failed to put him in a position to succeed here. Yeah, and I hope that they don't let the kind of what I would term at this point sunk capital on Chase Claypool, you know, adjust. Stop you from, yeah. Yeah, stop you from Addressing. doing anything like that. Yeah. Like at this point, you just have to treat that as basically a wasted draft pick. We goofed. We took, a, we took a risk. I didn't. I mean, I didn't love the capital, but I kind of understood the, the gamble that they mm-hmm. wanted to take on him. But at this point, it's like it didn't work. Forget it. Move on. Like, find anything else. And if he's still on the roster, fine. But, like, don't, don't act like, well, we gave him the number 32 overall pick. This, how come he's, he's not doing starter, anything? Yeah. He's got to be our number two. Right. Um, so, bottom line on this, you would draft Bryce Young? I'd draft Bryce Young. <laughs> he's fucking good, man. He's good. He's good. And I, and I do think Phil's still... 
like you don't have to start Bryce Young right away. You know, I think there's a, a world where they can be on the same roster next season. Oh, wow. So I'm not, yeah, okay. The thing that I think that the Eagles did that was smartest mm-hmm. when they essentially hedged with uh, Jalen Hurts, a quarterback, is they made sure to keep kicking capital into the next year so that if it didn't go well, you still had two first-round draft picks next year, which could let you get towards the draft pick to get the quarterback if you needed one. Like, mm-hmm. you're not relying on just being terrible next year. Or So if the Bears trade out of that number one overall pick, it, if they get a draft haul, I would absolutely ensure that that haul involved a number one pick next year yeah. so that if the Fields yeah. thing doesn't work out, you then know, you, you, use that, you use that draft capital to That's build fine. around him, but if Fields doesn't work out, you've got two first next year. So that wherever you end up, you know, if you're picking 15 instead of one, you can you've got a play. shot of going into the top five to yep. go get your quarterback. And shit, whoever's going to give you that future one may not be good. Right. You know, if it's Colts, if it's Panthers. And that's the thing. Whoever like it is. The Colts, the that Colts could have, be the one, you know. The Colts have, like, Mark written all over them, don't they, coming into this draft? It's like, you know that they don't want to go after Derek Carr. Yeah. They don't want a veteran. They've just swung at the veterans multiple times, failed every time. They, they're sitting at four. They probably know the Texans don't want to trade with them. They've got like sucker, right? Like they are the they are what the Jets were, right? In twenty eighteen when they flipped back with the Jets. The Jets were like everyone's like, Oh yeah, the Jets, they have to get Sam Darnold, they have to right. go get a quarterback. That's the inverse now, unfortunately. By the way, somebody reminded me recently, remember when uh it was just a fascinating what if of like the last few years, and in particular with the Eagles, because I love almost everything they've done. As a, as a team building mm. enterprise. I think almost every move, even if it didn't work out, has been structurally sound process-wise. Remember there was a report that the Eagles wanted to trade up to the to, was it to number two, but own, or to number three, but only if they could get Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson. Yeah. But once it became clear that the Jets had dialed in on Zach Wilson as number two, the Eagles were basically out of the trading up game uh, for a, or out of the quarterback market, settled with what they had, and all of a sudden, they built like a Super Bowl caliber roster because of it. <laughs> like, just the Jets essentially determining that they like Zach Wilson potentially saved Philadelphia from Bowl. drafting that guy and being saddled with a disaster at quarterback, assuming it would have worked out the same. That's why the draft's the best. This is it. The decisions, those three days. All right. Super Bowls. So that's it, Mike. That's show yeah. number one. Draft show number one. LG. The triumphant return of Michael Renner. Uh, myself and Steve will be back tomorrow with our usual schedule programming. But ha- how have you felt it gone, Mike? It was it, good. It's a new show. It was so, good. Good to be back. What? what uh, is it every Tuesday are we doing? Or are certainly. We doing? Certainly every Tuesday. And, you know, depending on how it goes, we might even add another show. Okay, sweet. But it's it's draft season, baby. We are I'm January free. the 17th. It's going to be draft season from now up until mm. whenever the hell it is, late April. Yeah. What's the months. date? Do you know the date? April 27th is my birthday, round one. It's always around that, right? It always is, yeah. 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 Which I was born for this. <laughs> born built different nice nice i well i that's all i got you can't can't do any better than that that's a close we're out of here we'll see you tomorrow